From the University of Florida, Jacksonville, this is the Trauma One Podcast. Okay, good morning and welcome to the Trauma One Podcast. My name is Chad McIntyre. I'm the manager of Trauma One Flight Services. And today on our podcast, I have the pleasure to speak with Dr. David Cheshire from our Department of Surgery, Division of Acute Care Surgery, who specializes in trauma psychology. Uh, Good morning, David. Good morning. Thank you for having me. And as we um, look at some of the literature that was recently released on how we deal with mental health in the pre-hospital environment, uh, as well as in the trauma environment, uh, Dr. Cheshire, you are really of, of special interest in grief counseling, violence prevention, and building collaboration between hospital and the community. So um, if you could tell us a little bit about your role here at UF and um, how you uh, operate as far as in trauma psychology. Sure, thank you. Um, I'm one of two trauma psychologists here at UF Health, and uh, along with Kamala Scott, we have a particular interest in working with patients who come through the trauma program and have experienced some sort of medical trauma, but also to work with our faculty and staff that um, are exposed to that trauma and may experience kind of secondary effects themselves. And really what our job is, is try to ward off the effects of post-trauma anxiety and depression associated with those injuries. Great. So this is an, uh, an issue that we talk about. It is probably not really on the forefront of the thought of many EMS providers um, and EMS managers, but the NAEMT recently released their uh, document on a national survey on EMS mental health services. And I found some of the statistics to be quite alarming, but in your profession, this probably wasn't too alarming to you. Well, it's still alarming. It's just not surprising um, that uh, basically there's an old saying that when we look into the abyss, the abyss looks back into us. You can't witness some of the things our EMTs and uh, and uh, hospital employees uh, witness and not be affected by it in some way. And it, over the daily grind of being repeatedly exposed to these things, it's no real surprise that it has um, has uh, poor effects on us. So can you talk a little bit about, and this is something that's always been of of interest to me, uh, Dr. Cheshire, is is having to deal with the acute PTSD from a call that one of our EMTs and paramedics would go on, a child death or um, an injury that was really bad, or the cumulative PTSD from just years and years of, of taking care of those patients. Sure. Well, to start off with, uh, everybody has kind of, they come to every situation with their own kind of personal stress bank. And uh, when we're exposed to these kind of things, we kind of make a withdrawal of our ability to cope with that stress bank. And everybody has a different balance in that bank. And once we hit, uh, hit that balance, you know, that leaves us particularly vulnerable. We just don't have the ability to cope anymore. And different people have different triggers. Some of us working with children is a particular figure. Uh, um, uh, trigger for us. For some of us, working with a particular type of uh, violent episode is a particular trigger. And so everyone's going to experience these things a little bit differently. But over time, as we're exposed to them, it kind of changes our sense of normality, uh, what uh, we expect people to be able to do, what we expect people to be able to witness and to uh, recover from. And it kind of shapes who we are and how we feel about things and our overall worldview. Some of us do a pretty good job of being able to set that aside at the end of the day. Other people have a harder time coping with that. And again, these are all individual variables and they're hard to predict. 
And then um, as this particular stress mounts and as these particular things weigh on us, if we can't find a release, uh, they just build and build and build. And eventually, just like in a pressure cooker, uh, something's got to give. And if we don't have the ability to blow off steam, basically uh, there's a mental health price to pay. You know, I find that really um, interesting, Dr. Cheshire. And one of the things that was in the study and we've heard quite a bit about in the past is finding those ways to release that stress. And unfortunately, in the EMS uh, fire community, there is a high level of substance abuse, depression, and anxiety that people find coping mechanisms in not such a healthy way. Uh, what are, you know, some of those ways that we could find healthier ways to cope if, um, you know, rather than the alternatives that we currently see in many of the studies? Sure. And uh, basically what you just said, sometimes our coping strategies become the problem themselves and get in the way of everything else. And uh, some of our natural coping strategies like family and friends, some of these other not particularly adaptive coping strategies actually erode those coping strategies that we had. The single best thing anybody can do in any profession, but particularly to the helping professions, is to keep from becoming isolated. Uh, basically, we need to keep people around us, uh, family, friends, uh, colleagues, uh, and anybody else who that we find some sort of solace. And what's important there is just having that avenue, should we decide that we want to go out, should we decide that we want to have someone to talk to. It's not the talking per se that helps, it's knowing that it's available to us that's helpful. Um, in some cases, uh, some people would rather uh, have their uh, fingernails pulled than to actually have to talk about some of their experiences. And that's okay. It's not important that you are talking. It's important that you have somebody uh, should you want to. So keeping yourself from becoming isolated, keeping people around you, especially colleagues, especially people who can understand the unique stressors that um, this particular job um, that uh, calls upon. Um, over and beyond that, everybody is going to have different ideas about what's helpful, what's relaxing, and that has a lot to do with personality. Uh, some people really like to go out and play on the weekend, and they can think of nothing better than to go out to a big party with lots and lots of people around them and uh, loud music, dancing, and just having fun. For some people, that's a fate worse than death. They'd rather just stay home, um, maybe drink a glass of wine and read a good book or watch a movie or just hang out with their family and uh, children. Uh, either way is fine. Uh, all of us find different ways to cope. All of us find different ways to relax. Whatever works for us is uh, more than enough. So you hit on a topic that I was going to um, bring around later on, but I think since we're already here, um, you know, many agencies, especially large agencies, have the employee assistance programs, uh, EAP as they're better known, mm -hmm. which is a little different than um, how we have our trauma psychologists here in-house, but a lot of those uh, whether in the private sector or the EAP programs don't really understand what we're talking about. They don't see the things we're talking about. Um, they don't live what we live. And sometimes, you know, some of the feedback that we've heard, and it was recently in this study, was that how can I talk to a private practice physician that uh, about the things that we're seeing when they, they don't understand that? And how, how would you, or, or even our family members? Um, first off, to preface all of this, I have nothing but respect for the people that do that job over an EAP. It's, it's a tough one because they are asked to wear a lot of different hats and to uh, work with people from a wide, wide range of experiences and, um, and job occupations. Um, that said, what's most important when we're connecting to other people to decompress and to unwind, um, we have to be able to trust that person really understands where we're coming from. 
Um, and just like with war veterans coming back from, um, from being on active duty, when they come to a therapist like me who's never served in the military, it would be really hard for them to believe that I actually know what their experiences are or that I could appreciate what they're going through and trying to recover from that. Um, the same thing is true of, um, of uh, EMTs and our entire Trauma One program uh, up to and including the nurses and surgeons and everybody else who works with patients. If you go to somebody who's never worked with the patient or never kind of experienced that acute injury and um, that crying out for help and pain, chances are they're not gonna be able to appreciate it on a level that we think that they really get where we're coming from. That's not to say that we can't forge that trusting relationship, but it takes time. And a lot of uh, people who are looking for help may not have that time to be able to trust in them. And that's what's so important here at the hospital is we do have in-house mental health providers, whether that be Dr. Pamela Scott and myself, or our chaplaincy program, or um, different people who uh, work with patients, um, that we all are part of a greater family of working with patients. And we can appreciate, at least on some level, what each other is going through. And in some ways, it's a lot easier to believe that these people have our backs because they really have been there and lived that life themselves. One of the things you brought up, um, Dr. Cheshire, and you know, I've, like I said earlier in our introduction, I've had the uh, wonderful opportunity to work with you uh, over many years, is that in our industry, whether it's pre-hospital uh, care or acute care surgery, trauma surgery, is that we want a quick fix. And one of the topics in items you just brought up was that it takes time to forge that. And I think, do you believe that sometimes some of us are, you know, we expect a quick fix and we want a quick fix for this as well? Yeah, I, I think that's a distinctly modern phenomenon is everything we want, we want it right now. Whether that's mental health or going shopping or seeing what, we don't have a lot of patients as a community anymore. And uh, especially when we're talking about the providers in Trauma One, we're talking about people who live life by the minute. And uh, our motto is every second counts. And so we really live second to second. Um, and we live in a very acute way. And so we need to be ready to go on a moment's notice. And taking time to serve our own needs sometimes doesn't fit well into that practice. Um, that's not to say it's not important to take that time or necessary to take the time. It just doesn't fit well. But in, what we really have to do is we have to realize our own needs matter, that our own mental health has to come first because if we go down, we can't help anybody else and they're gonna go down too. And so, I, whereas we have to be respectful of the fact that we do want quick fixes so we can get back up and do our job, in a lot of ways, those quick fixes aren't gonna work when it comes to mental health. We need to take time out for ourselves and we need to make sure that we're looking after ourselves and each other. So one of the uh, topics, you know, and I, I think this is really interesting because uh, I bring this up to my flight crew all the time is the ability to disconnect. And in our jobs, um, especially in 2016, being able to disconnect is, is difficult with pagers and cell phones and uh, instant messaging. Uh, how do you recommend, and, or, and even more if you don't mind me asking, how do you disconnect from our day-to-day -day operations and the things that we see. Sure, and Chad, I think you hit on exactly the hardest thing about living in the year 2016 right now, is we have a 24-hour moment-by-moment news stream. and We're always uh, able to be contacted by anybody else, either through text messaging or through paging or through phone calls, just like you said. And that becomes a real issue because it makes it really hard, as you say, to disconnect, to decompress, to take time out for ourselves. We need to remember what matters in our lives over and beyond the job. 
Yes, it's important to save lives. That's awesome. It is a great calling. But when we're not out there saving lives, it's important to take care of ourselves and to be there for the people that matter in our private lives, like our family, like our children, like our friends. And so, as I said before, everybody's going to have different ways to decompress, to turn off that news stream, or at least to reduce it. I'm not entirely sure that we can ever be 100% off the grid. I'm not even sure that's a good idea anymore. But maybe it doesn't make as much sense to spend all our time watching news events as they unfold and to see these catastrophic things happening around the world, which will further erode our sense of safety and stability. And so really kind of turning the TV off, turning the radio off, even turning our phones or pagers off if we can, if that's not feasible, to at least put them in a place where they're not going to inundate our lives all of the time. Um, that's important. Some of us have the uh, luxury of being able to turn off our pager when we go home. Some of us don't. Um, and so for those of us who don't, it's going to be a little more difficult. But we do need to find places and things that we can do to, uh, to unwind and to be there for ourselves. You had asked me what my personal uh, ways of coping are. When I leave the hospital, I always leave my pager on and I'll answer calls, but I rarely, if ever, come back into work when I'm called on now. And uh, I have a supportive partner here who uh, feels exactly the same way and understands that we do need to have time to ourselves so that we can do our job in the morning when we come back. It's not to say I won't, but it would take an extraordinary circumstance for that to happen. So I'm not on call 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I make sure that I have time to spend with my wife when I go home so that um, I can really attend to my own personal relationships so I don't lose those. Um, in my own brand of enjoyment is I love watching movies. I love uh, watching movies with my wife, comedies especially. Uh, so that it's just something that's so different from the work that I do during the day that it helps me recharge and be ready for the next day when I'm seeing patients, who many of whom have experienced some catastrophic uh, situations. Well, I have to say, um, you know, for those listening that have not had the opportunity to meet Dr. Cheshire, he is probably one of the funniest people I've ever had the opportunity to spend time with and um, to see and, and deal with the things that you do and to have such a great sense of humor um, and demeanor is always uh, enjoyable. So um, again, we, you are listening to the Trauma One podcast and with Dr. David Cheshire, our trauma psychologist from the Division of Acute Care Surgery. And I was looking at, on the report, Dr. Cheshire, the number of people in EMS by the Fitch and Associates um, Ambulance Service Manager Program that stated the, the rate of attempted suicide or um, those that actually completed suicide was significantly higher than the national average. Is, is that pretty standard for all of healthcare or is this, is this an anomaly to EMS? It's particular to EMS, but anybody in the helping professions is going to have a higher rate of burnout, a higher rate of compassion fatigue, a higher rate of depression, a higher rate of, um, of attempted and completed suicide. And that has to do for, with a lot of different factors, and we're still studying them. I, by no means is that picture complete. But what really happens is the more acute the job, whether that's uh, in the military or being on our trauma one helicopter or going out and um, seeing these uh, accident scenes firsthand and dealing with uh, the tragedy on the ground or bringing them back in the trauma center and witnessing it, that is such a stressful job. But at the same time, we have a mentality that we are people of steel, that these things don't affect us the way they do the general public. And so we do our best to shield ourselves um, in a lot of ways, lying to ourselves, saying that this doesn't affect me. This is my job and I can do this because I'm a strong person. And we mistake strength 
for not being affected. And as human beings, we are affected by each other's sufferings. We can't not be. That's what um, empathy is all about. We identify with that person who's bleeding on the stretcher. And our heart goes out to them, and we want to help them. That's what's drawn us into this craft in the first place. And so by being affected by it, but by trying to say that we're not affected by it, it keeps us from reaching out to people to say, I've hit my limit. I need time. I need someone to talk to. I need a day off. I need these kind of things to help myself before I go out and help the next person. And that's why it's so important for us to look out for each other and to create a culture of it's okay to feel. It is okay to cry. It is okay to be affected. It is okay to ask for help. And um, we expect that from our patients, that they ask for help, that they're accepting uh, the help that we're able to provide. But for some reason, we deny ourselves that luxury. So one of the topics you just hit on that I, I think is um, one of the ones I wanted to spend a little bit of time on, Dr. Cheshire, is that we believe ourselves to be people of steel um, and how we see ourselves and how others see us. Do you believe that that is intrinsic that we place on ourselves or is that extrinsic from others wanting to see us always together? Sure, I think it's both. Um... It's, it reminds me of the show uh, on HBO from a few years back, Band of Brothers, where if we go down or if we take time for ourselves, we feel we're letting our partners down. And that's a real thing. And that's why it's important that we have a group mentality, that we look out for each other. And I know, Chad, you yourself are very insistent that people do take time off for the, um, from work from time to time. So they do have time to recharge. And that is so important. Because a lot of times we forget that about ourselves or we ignore our own needs. Um, from an intrinsic standpoint, yeah, I think uh, we want to help as many different people as we can. And we just don't pay attention to our bodily cues. Um, as you know, a few years back, I went to Haiti with the uh, medical relief team after the earthquake. And I preached this. And I live this life. I, I, I know what this is all about. And I preach this. And I tell everybody, we have to take care of ourselves. We have to look out for each other. And the person on the team that went down that dehydrated and wound up um, on the stretcher was me. Uh, so it is so easy for us to slip into this I'm not affected mentality and to wind up you know, requiring emergency needs ourselves. Well, one of the things that, you know, and I appreciate the shout out there from my crew because, you know, I, about a year ago, I instituted a no excuse call off, um, you know, safety profile and a culture of safety in the flight program after the accidents that we have faced over the last decade and decade and a half really made me start thinking about people needing time off. And we instituted, uh, I did, um, the, the program of if you're fighting with your wife, if you know, your child, what, you're having childcare issues, the dog bit you this morning, or you just can't stand to hear my voice today, then you don't have to be here because I need your head in the game. And remarkably, my call-offs went down rather than up. It's, as we said before, it's not as important to go out and talk about your feelings. A lot of us would rather do anything but do that. What's important is knowing that you have the support there that you can if you want. And just like the policy you enacted, it's not the day off that's as important. It's the knowledge that you can have it and that you'll be supported should you take it. Perceived support is far, far, far more important than actually going out and following through with any sort of help you need. Uh, just knowing that people have your back is comforting in and of itself. 
So you uh, and I have been here um, at University of Florida, Jacksonville for quite some time. And do you see the culture of the residents coming in today uh, about taking time off and personal time different than our predecessors and even our mentors like the T-Pazes and the Freibergs that, um, do you see that difference? I, I think it's night and day. Uh, I've been here a little bit more than nine years now. So we're talking about a decade's worth of experience and Kamala, of course, has been here longer than that. And she and I talk about this frequently. Um, medical training programs now are really pushing this idea of you have to take care of yourself. You have to have other priorities in your life other than the job. The job is important and it is a priority, but it's not the only one. Um, we're certainly more mindful of your need to sleep, your need to take time off if you're not feeling well. Um, we institute policies now, if you are uh, fatigued, we get you home safely so you don't have to drive yourself. We're much more mindful of these things than we used to be. Um, and I think our patients benefit from that. Um, I, we're not perfect and there's still work to go. Um, several of our uh, residents would still be here all day, every day if they could. But uh, I think uh, we have a greater sense of it's important to take care of yourself now too. Yeah, we had the, um, you and I both went through the loss of a very dear friend, Dr. Freiberg, who um, literally worked up until the day he almost was admitted to the hospital. Um, and, and you will see today that some of these residents uh, coming through and even newer, younger faculty will say, I'm not going to work like that. I'm not going to do that. I am going to spend time with my family. Um, not to say one was better and one was worse, but it's just different. Yeah, and Dr. Freiberg was, of course, a near and dear friend to all of us and uh, a remarkable physician and remarkable person. Um, in the time I knew him, he had an epiphany in his life as well about the importance of basically making time for all the important things in your life. And I don't know of anybody who was a more um, committed family person than he was. Um, and he used to brag on his family all of the time and make sure that uh, even if they weren't there physically, they were on his mind when he was there. And he kind of thought of us all as family too, I think. And so um, his priority though, uh, from watching him from the outside, maybe he looked like the constant workhorse and of course he was, but uh, he wasn't, he didn't, he still had other priorities than just the job. And, um, and he had certain things that he really, really enjoyed doing. He loved trivia. He loved movies. He loved, uh, he was a consummate joker. Um, uh, one of the people that I really admired most for his dry sense of humor. Um, so he, even he, toward the end of his career, had really made a shift, a pivot away from just patient care all of the time to focusing on kind of his own needs too. So that's a, a great segue because, you know, Dr. Freiberg and I used to spend a lot of time going to the football games together and um, looking over disaster preparedness stuff for the DMEP, um, again, was somebody that I, I cherished a great deal. But can you talk a little bit, you know, we deal with the death of strangers every day, but, and, and I bring this up because this was particularly hard for me, the death of one of our own. Right. It's, you know, we are a family and uh, like, unlike so many other professions, we really are in the trenches together. We're in it up to our elbows frequently uh, dealing with things that most people in our communities are never going to see. Uh, fortunately for them, they will never experience a lot of what uh, our first responders and our trauma teams see and experience. 
and we rely on each other. And just like a band of brothers going out into war, we are on the battle lines and we are as close as brothers and sisters as, uh, as you can get in a workplace, I think, in some ways maybe even closer. And so when one of our own goes down, it reminds us of our own mortality. And for those of us who do have that person of steel mentality, it breaks that, it shatters that. We see that we are not invincible, that we can be affected and uh, will be. And it forces us to face these kinds of things too. And when it happens right in our own backyard, right in our own family, it is particularly provocative, um, especially when somebody is near and dear to us for as long as Dr. Piper is here. It uh, takes its toll. And again, going back to how we began this segment, it is so important that we have a chance to process that on a personal level and have people available to us that we can talk to about that, that we can process with, that we can go out and um, memorialize him um, in those ways. It's so important because if we don't allow ourselves that, we carry it and there is a mental health price to pay down the road. Agreed. So uh, again, this is the Trauma One podcast with Dr. David Cheshire our tra- uh, from our Department of Acute Care Surgery, Trauma Psychology. And Dr. Cheshire, one of the things that um, we touched on earlier that I wanted to kind of circle back around to was our personal wellness and personal well-being. And you touched on sleep. And there's been a little bit of a pushback from many in the public arena against the long duty hours of the EMS profession working, you know, two um, back-to-back 24-hour shifts or even a full 24-hour shift um, and how that impacts not just patient care, but their own mental health. Sure. Sleep is so important. Resting is so important. Uh, It's one of the things that I tell any family that's going through trauma that, uh, the three things they need to look out for in themselves is time to rest, time to eat, and keep themselves hydrated. And you know, when we preach that to our patients, we really need to listen to ourselves that that is important. Um, EMTs are a different life, uh, and uh, they kind of train themselves to work those kind of schedules. And that training is important. I don't know that it uh, evaporates all of the uh, costs that come with spending so many hours awake and so many hours on the job. Um, but even within that time frame, uh, there should be time to nap, time to rest, time to recharge. Um, and rarely is anyone on the go for 24 hours straight. So yes, uh, sleep is probably the most important thing that we can do for our body. It gives us a chance to rest physically and mentally. And like so many decisions in life, they tell us to sleep on it because our brain is much better able to process information when it's rested than it is uh, right, right in the acute setting. So one of the things we did um, in this last year for the flight crew was that I told them they work 24-hour shifts, um, obviously, and they're not on the go for the whole 24, but there are uh, nights when it's an all-night. And one of the things that we really instituted to them was I expect them to take a nap during the day. Mm-hmm. And if they're up all night, then I expect them to sleep for two hours after their shift, which I pay them for because I don't want them driving home tired. I've been on that drive from Lake City, the sun's up, it's nice and cool outside, but the car's warm, and you start dozing. And do we not have a responsibility that for the public we take care of to now not put ourselves as either the patient or the the incident causer? Absolutely. And uh, as you know, and uh, I'm not sure if the general public knows, every year we have a required fatigue training course for the our faculty and for our residents. And it basically says just that. Uh, We really hit on the fact that when you're tired, 
um, your driving performance is as impaired, if not more so, than when you're intoxicated. Um, and so rest is so important for those kind of things. And especially when you're out there driving and you have so very few things to focus on, it's real easy to nod off if you're exhausted. Um, and to something else I'll build on with what you had just said, the napping for two hours is so important, but also to give yourself a chance to wake up afterwards because uh, those two hour naps tend to be very deep sleep and it takes a little bit of time to recover from that too afterwards. So you need, you need to wake up before you're out there driving. So one of the things to transition to, um, Dr. Cheshire, is the culture. And we talked a little bit about the, the, the culture has changed a little bit um, over the years on accepting mental health and, as you just said, the fatigue management. But at times, uh, I can remember when I first became a paramedic and I had the very first patient that was a um, 12-month-old death, and essentially the words were, man up you've got another call to take, you're never going to make it in this job if you can't. And that was kind of the onboarding. Mm -hmm. And still, even today, I hear people say, I had to do it, now you have to do it. How do we overcome that, um, that culture? Person by person, event by event, the culture is still there. We're both aware of that. Um, and I think the culture is not quite as pervasive as it used to be, um, though you still hear people talking about that. We still expect a lot from each other and from ourselves. And, uh, you know, and, and rightly so. Uh, this is a high-stress profession, and it's got a lot of consequences associated with it. So we are very demanding of kind of what we expect from each other and from uh, our own personal performance. That said, we can't ignore the things that allow us to do that, and that is the taking time off. That is the attention to personal health. That if we ignore that, then everything goes down. It's like being in an airplane when they uh, at, before the uh, airplane takes off to tell you if those oxygen masks fall from the ceiling and you're with small children or someone who needs assistance, put your own mask on first, then attend to them. Because if you go down, they go down. You have to take care of yourself before you can take care of other people. If you're not able to do it, the person that you're working with isn't gonna make it either. So not to um, stir the pot a little bit, but to return to the 24 hour shifts, um, you know, Dr. Cheshire, and no EMT, paramedic, firefighter would ever want to get rid of those 24-hour shifts because it, it really works for their schedule. Um, however, uh, we look at the airline industry that has put strict time limits on their pilots and their cabin crew for the safety. Um, how can we not see that translate into the healthcare profession, whether it be our surgeons, our emergency medicine physicians, and our EMTs, paramedics, firefighters? I think it will. I think uh, the airline industry is really kind of leading the charge on this one. Um, and uh, basically, they have come up with so many protocol-driven practices for uh, what it takes for that plane to leave the ground and what the requirements are for a rested pilot. And you think about yourself when you're sitting in the cabin and that uh, we're about to take off, you want to rest assured that that pilot is not exhausted, that that pilot is not impaired, that we're going to land safely. And I think the public has the same right to expect that of people who come out to them in an ambulance or in a helicopter when they're hurt. Um, I think uh, we can take a lot of lessons from that industry. It won't be a perfect one-to-one -one, uh, correlation. We're gonna have to wait and see uh, what the research tells us about our own practices. But certainly if I'm the one who's in a car accident and I need medical assistance, I'd like to be the one who gets an EMT who's well-rested and at the top of their game to get me to the hospital to, uh, so the surgeons can save my life. Um, I'd rather not have the person who's on the 23rd hour, the 24-hour shift. 
Yeah, you bring up a good point. And, you know, I think that um, it, without a doubt in the entire industry for all of our EMTs and paramedics and firefighters that will be listening to this podcast, uh, those on the front lines and those in management, that none of us could ever imagine saying, I can't take this call. I'm just too tired to provide it safely. Uh, for my patient and for my crew, uh, hopefully the uh, my flight crew knows that if they do take that call tired, that I would be more angry than them turning it down. But I, I think that it, it, that's a culture thing, again, that it's hard for us to say, I can't do this, I'm too tired, or my head's just not in it. I think so, too. And, uh, and that's hard for anyone, uh, whether they're EMTs or accountants. Uh, and even, we don't like to basically say, I'm not able to do what you need me to do, uh, especially in the health and professions. Um, but again, focusing on our own needs is so important. And that is new. It's new to the last several years. We're just now starting to pay attention to ourselves um, and what our own personal needs are. So circling them back around, um, Dr. Cheshire, to employee assistance programs, because I think a most um, people listening to this podcast will have one through their agency, um, and you spoke very highly of assistance of uh, the EAP program, and I know that they do great work. Can you tell our listeners that may not have ever had to deal with them um, some of the, the benefits of those programs that they can help with uh, when dealing with cumulative or acute PTSD or just mental health issues? Sure. I, I, I think of EAP in a lot of ways like I think of first responders because uh, they're usually our first line. If, uh, they're, they're who we know in our professions that uh, if we need help, they are available to us. Now, how we feel about the service they provide, a lot of us haven't done it or that we have heard rumors or we just feel like uh, it's not something we want to take uh, advantage of, but we know they're there. Um, EAP can provide a whole range of assistance ranging from mental health um, guidance themselves to uh, marital counseling to uh, referral to an outside practitioner if that's what uh, we need. Basically, their job is to help us do our job and to help link us to whomever it is that we need to be speaking with and whoever we need help from. And so if um, we find that they're not the ones specifically that we're going to feel most comfortable with, they can help us find the appropriate people. So uh, with in dealing with a normal private um, psychiatrist, psychologist, the conversations um, are confidential. And can you tell us, because I think a lot of people would see EAP as an agent of the company. Is, is it the same? No, EAP, uh, like any other helping professional, if they are worried about your personal safety or the safety of those around you, so if you're suicidal or homicidal, they will step in and break that confidence in the interest of protecting you. Um, short of that, EAP respects the confidence of the people who come to them, and so everything you talk to them about won't be shared with the managers or anybody else in, in, uh, in the hospital setting. Great. And one of the things I found um, in our EAP here, as well as some of the programs that we've been working on, is conflict resolution. And in the firehouses and the EMS stations, um, you know, these people are spending almost as much time with uh, another one non-family member as they are with their children and their uh, husband or wives. They work a 24-hour shift. Um, they may be in the truck for several hours a day or in the aircraft. And when a small conflict arises, uh, how to deal with those conflicts because they can mount up to poor working relationship and poor mental health. What kind of, um, what ways do you recommend for conflict resolution in, in those types of providers? 
Well, the very first thing is, like you just uh, pointed out, we need to recognize that this happens. And like any family, um, when we have a tight-knit group, there is going to be conflict arising. Um, and the tighter the group and the closer the, closer the quarters, the more opportunities for conflict. As you know, domestic violence in the community goes up around Thanksgiving time because it's usually cooler weather out there and people are uh, cooped up inside their house together. And we find is we may not like everything about everybody who's in that. And so accepting that that's going to happen and finding ways to combat the stress of being in kind of those close quarters, that kind of intimacy of setting uh, when we're talking about the EMTs and the firehouses and all of that. Um, communication's important, but it's not necessarily the end all be all of conflict resolution. Um, really being introspective and understanding what your own triggers are and your own hot buttons. And when you start to feel your own ire getting up to remove yourself from that situation, coming back to it when uh, your temper may not be quite as hot. Um, and uh, again, if it's a conflict that you just don't feel that you can make any headway with, with this other person, finding someone else to intervene, whether that's a manager, whether that's EAP, whether that's just a, a good friend, somebody to kind of step in and uh, help mediate the whole thing. Yeah, that's a great topic. Yeah, I often will, um, you know, on a lighter note, I will often tell my flight crew, um, including the pilots and the mechanics, if there's a fight to be had, let me do it. I have thick skin and broad shoulders because the working relationship at the base has to be good. Um, I get to leave after the end of the meeting, and if they want to be mad at me and sit around the table drinking coffee, that's fine. I'll be okay with that. So as we finish up our podcast, Dr. Cheshire, I'd like to talk a little bit just about some items that people can see in themselves or see in others or behaviors that may indicate that they are suffering from a mental health crisis, either acutely or cumulative over several years. Sure. Um, well, first and foremost, let's talk about uh, suicidality because we've got kind of suicide um, awareness coming up. Um, suicide is really about a moment when all of a sudden all of the options seem to be off the table. And, Basically, the future doesn't look hopeful at all. In fact, it looks hopeless and bleak. And if you start feeling yourself getting so trapped in by that sort of darkness and that sort of uh, despair, it's time to reach out. It is time, this isn't something you should may be able to and certainly should not have to deal with just on your own. So finding people, finding family uh, to help you through that darkness is so, so important. And it's okay to ask for help and to stop viewing that as a weakness and to start seeing that asking for help is actually a strength because it helps you to be you. Um, when we start feeling that we're not enjoying things the way we used to, we're not taking pleasure in activities that we used to, we're withdrawing from our family, friends, and coworkers in a way that we're not accustomed to. If we see dramatic changes in our sleep cycle, um, we can't fall asleep or we're sleeping far, far too much. Um, if we're not eating the way we used to, we gain um, or lose uh, weight uh, that we didn't expect to. These are all symptoms associated with depression, and they're uh, particularly important to pay attention to. Um, it may be time to talk to somebody and to get help. And who that somebody is can be unique to you. If you um, feel comfortable with a mental health provider, we, of course, are always available to you. If family um, can be a solution for you, if clergy and chaplaincy can be a solution for you, just not to be alone. Uh, the most important thing we can do is keep ourselves plugged in with each other. And two, if we recognize these kind of symptoms in uh, our family, in our coworkers, to reach out to them and to be supportive of them and try to help them work through it too. No one should have to go through despair alone.
you know, I've never been um, shy about um, talking about the fact that I have personally suffered from depression through most of my life. And I have a wonderful um, psychiatrist, Dr. Shrock Desai, who we both know very well. Um, and knowing my triggers and having other people say that they think that I'm having a issue that day when I don't realize it, it, ra it really allows me to be more introspective um, and to, to not have shame in the fact that we all have issues that we're dealing with um, and to be able to help. But suicide, you know, one of the things that people will often talk about is it's a permanent solution to a temporary problem, but it may not be temporary. It may be something that's been going on for some time. How do you explain that to people that um, of how to manage, whether it's themselves that has those ideations or they believe that their colleague is in the uh, firehouse or the EMS station? Sure. Well, suicide is a permanent solution that we're, uh, we're looking to fix despair um, or chronic pain. Chronic pain is the best predictor of a suicide attempt. Um, so if we're fe uh, feeling pain, we're feeling alone, we're feeling isolated, what happens is all of that, we talked about coping as a bank earlier, and we've hit rock bottom in our bank. Our bank account is spent. We don't have the ability to cope at this point. We don't see options, and suddenly suicide becomes the only option left available. Most people aren't going to reach to that first. They're going to try everything else, and then they get there. And it really is rock bottom when we hit that. So many of the people that I work with who uh, attempted suicide but didn't complete suicide will tell me that the next day after the attempt, suddenly things seemed brighter to them, that they didn't have those options before. And so suicide really is, is wearing blinders, even if it's not a temporary problem. Uh, as you had said, and you're absolutely right, a lot of problems that we face aren't temporary. And a lot of problems our patients face are life-changing and permanent. But how we proceed and the options we can see in the future and the different opportunities available to us, we may not be able to see those now. So when we say um, a, a, a temporary problem, really we mean a temporary situation, that there may be options and there likely are options that we just haven't had the time to discover yet. And that's why it's so important to have other people who have a different perspective on our situation available to us to help us through it. So Dr. Cheshire, as we finish up here, you know, our, our, our I know both of us uh, always will send our, condol our, not condolences, but more of our appreciation for the EMS providers that have to deal with patients that sometimes don't want us there, our risk of infectious disease from bloodborne pathogens or other substances, patients that don't appreciate us, um, that are under the influence, um, and, you know, and having to pile that on every day. So as a final note to our EMS people listening today, what are um, some pointers that you can give them uh, as they go out on their shift or maybe listening to this in their truck? Sure. Well, everything else that we've talked about, uh, notwithstanding, the very first thing is uh, the people you just mentioned, all of the uh, early responders, the first responders, all of those folks, um, everybody in trauma, everybody here at the hospital as well. Uh, it is a calling. It is an amazing service that we all provide, and it is really, really important sometimes. Take a step back, look at it from that vantage point, and really give yourself a pat on the back, because it is an amazing, amazing service that all of these people
So this is the Trauma One podcast, and today we've been talking with Dr. David Cheshire, trauma psychologist from UF Health, Jacksonville from University of Florida College of Medicine. Um, In our acute care surgery department, we were discussing mental health and coping mechanisms, triggers, and some of the ways that we can live a better life um, mentally and physically for ourselves, for our family, and for our patients. Uh, You can find the 2016 National Survey on EMS Mental Health uh, at the NAEMT website, naemt.org. Dr. Cheshire, any final thoughts? I just want to go out and say once again just how, uh, how important it is for us all to take care of ourselves and each other, to put Jerry Springer. Thank you, Dr. Cheshire, and to all of you EMS uh, providers out there today listening to this call or trauma um, members, thank you for all you do. Have a great week. Trauma One Podcast out.